Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Melissa Kwan, who's the founder of eWebinar, uh, eWebinar, which turns any video into an interactive automated webinar which you can set on a recurring schedule, which is designed for customer success and marketing teams. E-webinar perfects the, uh, delivers the perfect webinar again and again without you being there. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you you uh, have an interesting journey. You, uh, you're onto your third startup uh, how, and you've been, you know, a bootstrap founder. You know, what caught you interested to get in, in, into this world of startups? Well, I started my first company in 2011. Um, My last job was um, at SAP, where I was part of the large enterprise inside sales team. Um, I don't think there was anything particularly that got me interested in startups, like specifically. Um, When I quit SAP to start my own company, startups wasn't a word that I knew, right? Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't Y Combinator or, you know, tech stars. There was just meetups. And I remember you know, looking for these meetups on meetup.com and going to restaurants and talking with other people about ideas. And I just wanted to start a company that had a software product. Like I didn't specifically come out and say, oh, I want to start a startup. I later learned that a technology company is called a startup. Uh, but I think I always like, even though I'm not from an entrepreneur family, I always experimented with starting my own businesses on the side, but never as serious as when I left SAP in 2011. So I think I always had that motivation and intention in me. I just didn't really know how to do it. And it wasn't until I quit SAP that I felt like, okay, like I'm at a point in my life where I really don't want to work for anyone anymore. And I really want to try something of my own. Very interesting. And, you know, when you leave a big company like SAP, uh, you know, what, how how do you get the courage to you know start something of your own, uh, and what you w- working on building your own product while you were still there at Sam? Yeah, um, so I was only at SAP for a year. Uh, mm. Previous to that, I was always in much smaller companies. I actually eventually only wanted to work for SAP because I thought, hey, maybe one day I want to have a big company, and if I do want to have my own big company, then I have to have experience in one. um, So to know how it operates. And that was actually my main intention of going into a big company. But honestly, I didn't last very long because ultimately I think I'm a very bad employee. And previous jobs that I had, like I was in much smaller companies. So I still had you know, creativity within my role. Whereas in a big company, you're really just like a gear in a machine. So that didn't really fit like my personality and and how I thrive, uh, you know, within an organi- uh, within an organization, and I don't think it was so much like courage. I I had never done anything before, right? I am not from an entrepreneur family, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I think it was the lack of fear, um, because I just didn't have experience that made me just go and start something without any experience. And I was so green that I didn't realize code existed in many languages. Like I thought like if you had a product idea and you wanted to build it, that you could just find a coder and they would write some code and it would become a product. 
like it didn't really know that code had like different quality and all software was written differently. And, and so all of those things were like, ultimately learned um, later on, like very, very hard lessons. And that's where I ended up earning a lot of money. Um, but I, I just wanted to do something on my own. Like, I just really felt like it was time and, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I think that there isn't a, there is a point where experience hinders you. But at that point, I had no experience. <laughs> so I kind of just did it. Mm, yeah, interesting. And uh, and you, you know, you you had a you a success with Spacio, which went which was uh, uh, which you sold it off to Home Spotter. What were what, what did we learn from building the company and the exit? You know, how how did it all happen? I mean, I built Spacio for five years, so I had two companies before eWebinar. Um, and they were both in real estate tech or, or prop tech, as, as some people want, to, want would want to call it. So the, those two companies totaled about ten years of my life. Um, the first company was a product company that that became an agency because we were bootstrapped. We said yes to everybody, and then before you knew it, we were building custom apps for different people. And I really hated that life, right? Anybody that's run an agency before knows that you're constantly chasing deals and then chasing invoices, chasing deals, chasing invoices. So. My first company bridged into my second one where I wanted to build one product that we offered everybody. And that was my first product company, which became Spacio. So Spacio was um, an open house check-in product. So walking into a house that's for sale, instead of writing your name down on a piece of paper, you would type your name on an iPad and all that data got fed to the company and then would generate reports and automatically sent into a CRM. So ran that company for five years uh, before it was sold in 2019. Um, and then I started eWebinar very shortly after that, like two months after that. But I would say the biggest thing, I mean, of course, many, many lessons were, were learned you know, during, the, during that time. But I would say the biggest lesson that I learned was you need to start your company and your career um, from a place of happiness and love, right? I didn't do that. Like, I think a lot of people start the company or pick a career because that's where their education is, right? Yeah. I studied finance, so I work in a bank and I worked in a bank, so I'm going to start a fintech startup, mm. right? I started a real estate software company because I sold real estate mm. and I also had sold furniture to hospitality companies and also hotels. So my experience was in real estate. And so I thought I needed to start a software company that served that industry. But there was nothing really about that industry or, or that audience that appealed to me. It was mm -hmm. just where like my mind naturally went. And while we were ultimately successful, I was never that satisfied, right? I was always a little bit frustrated and, you know, but that was okay. Like I thought like that was the way that it had to be. But after Spacio was acquired and after 10 years of feeling just a little bit frustrated every morning, I got to really think about like why that was and how would I do it if I could do it again. And that was when I was like just before starting eWebinar. I didn't come up with the idea of eWebinar and automating webinars and then start that, right? I really wrote down a list of non-negotiables, like what are the things that make me happy? What are the things that I have to have in my next company? And then I found an idea that fit that mold, right? Because I, I realized through that 10-year journey that it's going to be hard either way. 
yeah. right? Doing all this is just super hard. It's it's hard right now, right? And we're doing well. But if you start something that ultimately serves your happiness, then it's just that much easier. And when I talk about my non-negotiables, they weren't really specific things, right? It was things like, I don't want to do conferences anymore mm-hmm. because Spatial was an enterprise product. So I constantly had to go to real estate conferences and set up booths and, and sell to people face-to-face. But I was also digital nomading. So it was kind of infringing on the lifestyle that I wanted to have. So my non-negotiable was I wanted to have a product that could be sold 100% through the internet. I didn't want to sell something face-to-face. So I wanted to have a low price product that everybody would sign up for on their own, kind of like a MailChimp. Mm. So those were kind of the non-negotiables that um, that I came up with. And my previous product was very niche, right? It was like just North America, just real estate. And when we weren't doing well, it was very hard for us to, to pivot and do something else. So we had to keep pushing in the same direction. And luckily we, we did come out on top, but you know, we could have gone the other way. So I needed my next company to have a product that could serve um, any industry, regardless of the language, regardless of geography. So those are kind of the things I came up with. Um, and I wanted something that would allow me to work remotely and build a remote team. So eWebinar was something that fit all of those things. Um, and now, even though things are hard, I know that at least my company is allowing me to live the life that I want to design for myself. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. So super, super interesting. And how you decided on your next idea, what were the non-negotiables? I, I love that. And, uh, you know, uh, and how did you, how did you, you know, decide to, uh, focus on this idea. Uh, I mean, how's what is it about turning a video into webinar? Uh, which excited you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's done a webinar in the past knows that webinars are a hassle. Yeah, right. Webinars are hard to run. Right, like you know, it's like a one-hour webinar is like a full day. Right, getting ready, doing the webinar, maybe couple of weeks planning it, and then you have to decompress because it's pretty stressful. And then the bigger the webinar, the more people you need to manage the Q&A and manage the questions and, and like making sure all the tech is, is working, right? So in my previous company, uh, because it was enterprise SaaS, the only way to train new users and onboard new users was to train them on webinars, so because I was the only non-product, non-operations person, I was the person that was doing all these webinars. And the more customers we had, the more webinars I had to do. But no matter how many I did, it was never enough. So webinars are great and people love them. And that's why Zoom exists, right? That's why Zoom is like one of the most successful tech companies of our time. But the nature of webinars is not scalable because you have to go and do it live. Mm. But how... Like, how can your customers all around the world in different time zones join your webinar when you're doing it at 11 o'clock Tuesday, your own time? So that's why, you know, 100 people sign up and, you know, maybe 20 people show up. And then by the end, like 10 people are still there. 
So there were some times in my previous company, I would do the same webinar seven or eight times back to back, and then I wouldn't have the mind share to do it again or to do anything else. But that was my life. I can't say that's not important work because it is, right? Because training and onboarding and keeping your customers there is what keeps the subscription. So back then, I was always envisioning this amazing product that would do my job for me so I could go and have fun. So eWebinar is exactly that. It turns any video into a webinar that just runs on its own on a recurring schedule. So you never have to do them live. So think about all your sales demos, sales pitches, training, onboarding, thought leadership, all those things that you wish you could be doing over and over again without actually being in front of a camera. That's what our software does today. Got interesting. And, um, and uh, in, in your previous company, you were focusing on real estate, but who, who are your customers uh, for, for this, uh, this product? And did, you, did you start off with real estate companies uh, and, and the sales guys there? Yeah. So when I, I mean, the way that we got our first hundred customers um, Mm. is I made a a spreadsheet, like a Google sheet of every single person that I knew, like every, like just went through my phone, went through my emails, my Rolodex, every single person or company that I knew that could potentially use this product. So it's anyone with a tech company or a company that requires a lot of training, right? So insurance companies, healthcare, real estate, anything you could think of. I'm going to wait till this ambulance goes by. Um, and, and then I basically wrote the company name, the contact person, the email. Um, and then I just basically went down the list to tell them what I was doing next. Um, and if they showed any interest in trying the product, um, then I would schedule an onboarding call. So when the product had launched, um, I would set up a call to watch them onboard um, and get them onto the product. So because a lot of my contacts were in real estate, I would say like even now, maybe 10% of our customers are are from that industry. But while it started there, um, we serve a number of different industries in different countries. Um, but the roles that we serve are you know lead gen sales and marketing and also post-sales customer success. Mm, got it. Got it. Interesting. And uh, and you know, I I could see that you know you have different days of pricing. Uh, when when you when you started off, how did you get to decide you know on on the pricing, um, especially for for a product niche product like yours? Yeah, I mean that's a hard thing, right? Because you look at your competitors or comparable products, you know they're priced a certain way but you don't have as many features as them, right? Like you're, yeah. you're kind of starting from scratch, right? So I guess it was pretty straightforward. I basically made a list of all comparable solutions. So not just webinar solutions, right? Things that were like parallel. So it could be a business solution like a CRM or you know a marketing automation solution. I would just see how, what their business model was, how they were priced, and then I just did a bunch of research on what their features were. And I just kind of made a spreadsheet, right? Like, this is the company. These are the features. This is the pricing. Here's their competitive advantage. And then I picked a price point somewhere in the middle, right? Um, and, I, and I think you don't have to be the cheapest if you're the best. But we weren't the best yet. So we couldn't be the most expensive. And I'm a firm believer that you don't have to be the cheapest or the most expensive, but you do have to know how to justify your value. So when somebody asks, 
you know, why are you priced this way? You know how to respond to them. But also all the research that I was doing, I'm assuming someone else would do, right? Our future customers would do. So they would probably compare it in the same way. Um, And that's how we came up with our pricing, but also with the intention, knowing that, you know, in a year or two, that we would actually raise the price to charge what we're actually worth versus what we were starting with. Because when we started, we didn't have any integrations, right? It was just, here's the product. We didn't even have Zapier. Um, And now we have, you know, over 20 direct integrations plus Zapier, and then a whole bunch of other features as well. So we actually just recently announced our first price increase um, that's going to happen, you know, in the next month. Mm, got it. Interesting. And uh, you know, you you built a, a team of uh, of you know remote workers. Um, you know, why why did you why did you do that? And how how do you run a remote comp- teams? You know, what tools do you use? I mean, why did I do that? Is because I realized after ten years of being in startups that I love building companies okay. and I love creating and making money, but I actually am really bad at managing people. Mm. And I actually hate it. Like it's, it's one of my least favorite things to do. So one of my non-negotiables was that I would start this company with all contractors and no full-time employees. Um, I actually think the world is pretty flat and like I myself is a digital nomad, right? So I don't need a physical office of my own. My previous two companies were also a remote team. We were remote before it was cool. And while we did have a team because my co-founder liked being in one place, my co-founder now is my life partner who travels with me. So I don't want a team in an office and have that spend, right? So a big decision is, is um, one, because of lifestyle, but number two, because of spend, like we can't afford to have full-time employees. We can't afford to compete with other companies that have all these cool benefits. So we can only recruit on the way that we work and our company culture, which is work at your own time. The customer comes first. You can do whatever you want. And that's really compelling to a lot of people. And because of that, those people don't work for you know, the Amazons or the Facebooks, right? They work for cool startups where they could design their own life. So it attracts a very particular type of people that actually fit this type of company. Um, but because we are able to hire skills from anywhere, it allows us to build a company on a fraction of the cost as if we were, you know, starting a company in North America or Europe, for example. So I would say that this model makes it possible for our company to exist. And that's the primary driver. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Before the call, you mentioned that you, you've been into sales, but now you also... You, you you know you hire developers and you uh, you also more involved in the product team. Uh, how do you how do you you know uh, look at hiring developers and how do you structure the interview to test that you hired you know somebody somebody really good? Yeah, so we don't hire developers directly. Uh, my 
CTO co-founder, who's also my life partner. Um, he's the tech lead. He still codes. Um, and he manages a team that we hire through a development shop out of Vietnam. And that's where the majority of our devo- development team is. Um, we originally picked Vietnam because we love the country and we wanted more reasons to go back there. Um, but also it's, it's fairly affordable um, and it's a fairly like young workforce. So they're highly motivated, ambitious, and um, their work culture is very similar to very similar to ours, like a startup culture. Like they'll, they'll be there when your customer needs you kind of thing. Um, so I think that makes it a lot easier because there's no language barrier. Because since we work through the development shop, there's always a PM that helps us communicate um, what we need to communicate through the team. Um, and while there's a bit of a spoken language barrier, like they, there isn't a written language barrier. So everybody writes English fairly well, and we communicate mostly through Slack. So I think that makes it a lot easier. Um, we used to work with a dev shop through Belarus as well um, with the same model, um, but they fired us because we were too small. <laughs> um, and like now, like everybody's outsourcing. So small companies like us don't get allocation. Like all these dev shops are working with medium, large size companies. They want to work with teams that grow and we grow very, very slowly. So that's actually a big challenge for us right now is hiring really great developers. And because all these companies are now outsourcing, it's pushed up all the cost regardless of the country. So um, if you want to outsource, like the base cost now is probably like 80 to 90,000 a year, um, which is a lot, right, for, for a startup. So these are actually some of the challenges that, that we have now. Got it. And especially then, you know, since you, since you work remotely, uh, how, do you, how do you create a safe space where, you know, all the team members can, you know, share their thoughts in a, in a non-judgmental and safe environment? Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard, right? Um, the core team is made up of three people, like me, my COO, and David, who's my CTO and co-founder. Um, my COO is, he's almost like the third co-founder. Like he was actually the first person that helped me on this project, even before David came on board. Right. He's just someone I, I've known in my previous company. Like he was a customer of Spacio in the past oh. and that's how we became friends. And, and he is now like the Jack of all trades guy. Um, luckily we have a very, very tight relationship. Like we are, and this doesn't always work, but we are friends first and coworkers second. And, you know, I think we both believe in the vision of this company so much that the business always comes first and our emotions like take a backseat kind of thing. And it, and that level of a, of a relationship is really hard to get to. Um, but I think setting the um, standard for that as CEO is really important because I'm very open and honest in sharing my feedback. And when someone shares their feedback with me, I, I don't like, I'm very aware and, and cautious to not shut them down because I am a very type A personality and it's very easy for me to appear, you know, dismissive or, or whatnot. So I try to send an example by openly sharing things that, you know, I have on my mind. And hopefully by doing that, um, I allow other people to think that they can also do that. It is a challenge, um, I think, with the Vietnam team, because ultimately there is a 
there is a cultural barrier where you don't share everything in, in, you know, the Asian culture. And I know that because I'm Asian, (laughs) but that's where I think having the PM um, helps because we can do that with the tech lead on that side, and then they can have open conversations with with them face-to-face. And that's actually also why we don't hire single developers one-on-one because ultimately on the other side in Vietnam, they work together um, daily. Got interesting, uh, and uh, you, you know you, you work with a partner, uh, and there, there are a lot of uh, you know listeners who, who want to start something, uh, and maybe you know they they don't want to disturb the relationship with their partners, and they they're afraid uh, of working with their partners. Any 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 thoughts? Uh, any advice on you know what's the uh, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah, so. I started a company with my life partner, but that was not by design. So I worked with the same co-founder for two companies. I came into this company thinking I didn't need a co-founder. So I came into this company hiring a development shop and I wanted them to do everything tech and I wanted to do everything business. But six to nine months into that, it became very clear that A tech company without a CTO thinking about the product 24-7 is like a restaurant without a chef. So David stepped in to try to help out. And ultimately, I didn't realize he could code this well because we never talked about business. Like He was a fractional CTO for other companies. So I didn't know he could code this well until he started helping me out. And when I saw that, it didn't make sense. It no longer made sense because I didn't know where to find a CTO. It no longer made sense for me to pay another company hundreds of thousands of dollars and for my life partner to volunteer when I could just make him my co-founder and have you know an arrangement that works for both of us. But he came a year in, right? He didn't come on day one. So my advice for anyone that wants to start a company with their their life partner is your fears are probably all true uh, because it can go the other way. But the way that you do that is you treat your life partner as any co-founder that's not related to you. Mm-hmm. So you document everything, right? It, it just makes me cringe when... I hear people not having contracts and agreements and shareholder agreements with their partner because they because they trust them, right? Like you can't just trust someone because when things go south, you need a document that tells you exactly how to part. And if you if you intend to raise capital from anybody later on, the first thing they're going to ask you is your for your shareholders agreement, your incorporation documents, and they're going to ask, you know, how like they're going to ask what's going to happen if the two of you part. And if you are if you don't have that documented, you're not going to get funding from every anybody because that's a red flag. So the first thing we did was have the shareholders agreement in place. And I had to have the hard conversation with him and ask him like what is the percentage of equity that you need to feel like a, a true co-founder knowing that you're coming in 
a year late, but also knowing that you're the CTO that's going to build the product, but I'm going to build the entire business. And there's a difference in that. Like, so um, in my previous company, myself and my co-founder were 50-50 partners. And that was something that I wish I could have changed because after so many years, I realized, yes, he was a great engineer and he built the product, but there were so many aspects of the business that I built. Um, and I didn't feel like that that was um, a fair split. Mm, interesting. I, I really liked how you, uh, you know, we should be upfront with your partner and, and discuss about, uh, about the stake and, you know, uh, other things so that, you know, uh, you're on the same page because you're trying to build something which is really hard, but they're also your partner. Um, I love that. Uh, well, I yep. mean, how many times have you heard, you know, founders say, well, I feel like I'm putting in more effort, but, you know, I'm not getting enough equity and I deserve more equity. Like, you know, people need to have those conversations up front, hmm. right? You need to be super open and honest about what you're going to put into the business um, and what percentage of equity you feel like you deserve um, in order, you know, in order to make this worthwhile for the both of you. Mm. And I think just splitting it down the middle is not always, you know, a great solution, mm. right? It, it really depends on, you know, how much you think you can contribute and how much of the business um, you think you can grow. Mm. Got it. Love it. And, uh, and, you know, you've been a digital nomad, any places uh, to travel and work, you would suggest to listeners who, you know, would want to travel and work at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very personal thing. Um, I love spending winters in Asia, mm -hmm. um, especially because Asia is like so culturally rich and, and like there's like amazing food and dining scene. Um, but the work hours are pretty bad. Right. So I just spent three weeks in Bali. My first call starts at 10 p.m. Sometimes it goes till 3 a.m. And my calls are customer facing. So I'm not just taking them in bed. Like I have to I have to be on it. And a lot of times the video is being recorded. So, um, you know, I like I mean, we ultimately fell in love with Amsterdam, which is where which is where our home base is now. Um, but I think um, not so much any favorite cities. I think you should always go where um, your heart desires. Got it. Love it. Yeah, no, I, I remember when I was back in India, I used to take uh, the podcast calls at one or two o'clock in the morning because that's how, uh, you know, the uh, the time, um, uh, you know, structure is. Uh, but I like Europe, you know, it's, it's split between Asia and, and US. Uh, but yeah, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? It is called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Jobs did not write that. Carmine Gallo did. Um, but it's a book about how to um, structure a presentation so you can get people to a close. Mm -hmm. Got it. Love it. Uh, I'm going to read it and I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, you know, if you could go back in time when you started eWeb, now what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I would start the company with David from day one <laughs> and um, not spend uh, $300,000 on uh, various development shops and contractors and then having to go back to him anyway. <laughs> but these are mistakes that you can't, 
like, I mean, hindsight 2020, right? These are mistakes that you can't really avoid because yeah. um, you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, but if I were to start over again, I would definitely advise people um, to at least try to find a co-founder from, from day one or be extremely mindful about where you spend your dollars before your version one, especially before your version one gets out the door. Um, because it's going to take a long time to build revenue after that. So the less you spend up front, the longer runway you have to iterate on your product. Got mm, interesting. And um, what's your favorite online tool? Anything other than uh, eWebinar? Um, I would have to say Slack because it it literally allows us to do everything, but also Monday. I think a lot, we use Monday as our, like, we don't have like a Jira or, you know, like, or anything like, or, or like a CRM or like everything is on Monday. Um, yeah. And I love how it boils down everything in its simplest form, which is a spreadsheet. Like I'm not a great like technology person. Like I have never been able to get a CRM that I've been able to adopt. And I used to just go to like a Google sheet. So that's kind of how Monday works. And I think other um, project management solutions are like that, but my brain works in a grid form. And within Monday, you can set up these like automations, kind of like IFTTT. So we use it as our JIRA. We use it as our CRM. I use it as my to-do list. Um, and then it's got like a pretty good mobile app as well. Mm, got it. Interesting. We'll put, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Melissa, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more, more about the e-webinar? Yeah. So the best way to reach out to me is through LinkedIn, uh, Melissa Kwan. My last name is spelled K-W-A-N. And uh, if you want to know how e-webinar can help you automate your business, clone yourself uh, or automate your webinar so you never have to do the same one twice, um, there's a demo that you can join on our website, ewebinar.com. Of course, our demo is delivered through the product as well. So it's a very meta experience. And if you have any questions, I'm personally managing all the chats that go through our demo. So happy to answer any questions you have about the product or my journey. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Melissa, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.